0: Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are pulling out the cascade, the fountain, and the shower as we strive to find balance and joy while juggling it all. Busy, busy, busy. Isn't that a typical response when you ask anyone how they are? So, so busy. Well, aren't we all? Have you ever stopped to question why? Are you busier now than in times past? Could you be entering or exiting an uncommonly busy season of life? Whether you're working the balls, clubs, or rings, knives, fire torches, or chainsaws, in most instances, you're setting the pace. You're adding more to the centrifugal force and you're offsetting the balance. Before you know it, you're dangerously close to dropping it all or wishing you could. Focus and keep your eye on the highest part of the object while we explore the idea of finding balance and joy from a few different angles. Ready to start your first throw? Remember this motto, don't worry if you keep dropping the ball The secret of juggling is throwing, not catching. See if this resonates with you. You finally have everything in your life organized, and you feel on top of your daily schedule. Sweet! Now, what should you do with the extra time you were able to carve out? Oh yeah, take on something else? What a vicious cycle that we are solely responsible for. Some who know me say I'm the busiest person on the planet. Of course, this is a gross exaggeration. And what they're really saying is, you're always into something. Which is true. I do like to be busy. I have a gazillion ideas that I would like to execute. And I don't normally spend much time laboring on the decision to start. I just start. But there are times I feel overwhelmed. And instead of taking time to analyze that feeling... I soldier on, as if all these extra projects are my duty. But now I want to carve out the time to really study that decision. What might I be missing by not acknowledging this feeling? Yesterday was a good day. We put aside our typical busy work and dedicated the whole day to connections. We had a lovely church service with our second family. I made a delicious lunch, if I do say so myself, and entertained my grown children. And then we went for a drive and stopped at Matt's parents to round out the day. Just an impromptu visit with delight conversation. We hadn't planned to spend the entire day this way, but instead of winding down early or getting into our projects, we chose to extend the day with an extra visit. As we pulled out of the driveway to finally head home, We each commented on how nice this day had been. Much needed balance. Now, how to work that into common practice. Harvey Schachter clues us in with how to juggle multiple tasks without burning out, found at globalandmail.com. Here's a metaphor. You're as a juggler with balls that are made of both rubber and glass. Some will bounce, others will shatter. And you need to know the difference as you juggle, juggle, juggle throughout life. The metaphor comes from executive coach Scott Eblen, or more accurately, his clients, who moan about the many balls they have to juggle. Mr. Eblen says three factors seem to be driving their stories. First, we are continually being asked to do much much more with less. Second, we have the welcome and not-so-welcome ability to do practically everything from our smartphones that used to have to be done at our desks. Third, unless we enforce boundaries, we are instantly available to anyone who has our email address or phone number. How do you keep all the balls in the air without dropping something important or driving your health and well-being off the cliff? He asks in his blog. He used to stress the importance of recognizing the difference between when something needs to be perfect and when good enough is good enough. But now he's suggesting that you can juggle more balls if you recognize which are rubber and which are glass. You can drop the rubber balls and usually recover easily enough. Drop a glass ball and you're likely done with that one. Here are some questions he believes will help you distinguish between the balls. What's the long-term impact of this ball? He suggests using author Susie Welch's formula. Will this matter a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now? And don't just assess the career balls you're juggling, but all of them, including family and other interests. Who else cares about this ball? You may not care much about a particular ball, but perhaps your boss or your spouse does. You don't want your decision-making to be driven solely by other people, but you usually need to at least consider them. What's the upside of this ball? It's easy when juggling a lot of balls to view them as equal burdens, which is not really the case. Asking what good things might result from doing a superb job of juggling a fabulous ball might help with setting priorities. If I drop this ball, could I recover? Some setbacks you face in life are minor and you bounce back quickly, while others are more significant. The point here is that most setbacks are recoverable. This means, of course, that most balls are rubber That should help keep the pressure off a bit. Should I even be juggling this ball? It's possible someone else should be juggling it, no one should be juggling it, or you can delay dealing with it. Take some time early in the year to consider the rubber and glass balls you're dealing with. and slow. Two other balls to balance. Jackie Jarvis, a business coach who lives near Oxford, England, wrote a book a few years ago aimed at entrepreneurs titled Quick Wins in Sales and Marketing. Her more recent book takes a different take. In Pursuit of Slow is a meditation on listening to voices inside us wishing for more peaceful lifestyles. Quick and Slow the operative words in each title sum up the duality of our lives, the frenetic pace most of us live at and the craving for something different. In a sense, it's two balls that we need to balance for a proper pace to our lives. Miss Jarvis has always pursued fast and with it a constant companion, more. She has been a pursuit of something extra through school, university, relationships, work and career. A few years ago, drained, she met a colleague who was the opposite, relaxed and refreshed after walking the Camino de Santiago Trail. She opted for a similar trek, walking part of the trail in France, but stuffed too many things into her rucksack and one day, shoulders sore, legs aching, she realized she had come for relaxation but had brought another type of overload with her. She threw the rucksack to the ground in despair, realizing she had to let go, but didn't know how. A thought. It seemed almost like a voice from outside her, but obviously sprung from inside. Have the courage to let go of that which no longer serves you. She took some of the items from her rucksack that were unnecessary and gave them to an old man she passed. My load was lighter, and now I could better enjoy myself on my walk. She started to reflect on that voice. What was it? Why that message? How could she listen to it? She decided to call it the voice of slow. The voice of slow is within us all, but we don't hear it because we're too busy. It seems a fantasy, impossible to achieve, As children, she reminds us, we were called to it by the words of Peter Pan. Come with me where dreams are born and time is never planned. The voice of Slow wants the best for you. She closes each section of her book with a request you listen to that voice as you answer some questions. Where are you running too fast in your life? Are there times when you would get more pleasure out of something if you slowed down? Negative beliefs can influence us. What do you believe to be true about slowing down? Finish this sentence, slowing down will mean I blank. How does what you believe influence your life? Is that what you want? What do you want instead? She sees it as a battle between ego and soul. Ego is our thinking mind, filled with must do's and should do's, prodding us to climb the career ladder. Soul is the part within that wonders if that pace truly makes sense. She sees her clients, you may be similar, as carrying heavy rucksacks as they climb big mountains, often a trail of colleagues behind them, also with huge rucksacks. Nobody considers what might be jettisoned. Are all the goals valid? Can some of the burden be delegated? Decluttering, emptying your rucksack can help. Her voice of slow on the Camino path talked of courage, which is fitting because often it's fear that prevents us from changing our pace. Slow down and you'll be admitting you aren't up to the job, that you failed. Some of us are also addicted to busyness, finding it fulfilling. Instead, give yourself permission to slow down. It won't be easy. She says, I've read my own book three times to remind myself to look after myself. It's important to listen to what your soul needs. In choosing to pursue slow, don't go at it too fast. Just a few minutes of silent meditation or walking can be an excellent start. Go slow, five minutes at a time. You don't need to change your whole world at once. Find out what is underneath the noise. Noise and chaos, people, products, and headlines pulling you in all different directions. How often are you still? Wonder why most people brainstorm or pray in the shower? Is it because we're forced to focus and not easily distracted? Your mind is very powerful and can take you to so many places that will help you visualize a solution, uncover a new desire revisit special memories, and develop empathy for others. Once we open ourselves up to ingesting the world around us, our own voice and independent thoughts are tainted. We've already mentioned the juggling act we do on a daily basis. How then are we to find a moment of peace to think? You can find positives and negatives for getting lost in your thoughts, but remember, We are striving for a healthy balance and a joy injection, so we'll focus on the positive side of this practice. Do you feel like you've lost your mind? Dr. Tashiki Davis helps us with seven ways to get your mind back, found at psychologytoday.com. Sometimes it can feel like our minds have been hijacked, whether it's from technologies designed to consume our attention, the anxieties of a pandemic, or simply the stress of working in a world that's connected 24-7. Most of us have a zillion things constantly running through our heads. This can leave us feeling frazzled. A mind on overdrive can not only mess with your ability to focus or be productive, it can also be distressing. Maybe we feel keyed up or agitated and end up snapping at people that don't really deserve it. Or maybe we feel so tense that we've literally got pain in our neck. Or maybe the ongoing stress of a full mind is hurting our sleep. Really, we just want to get our mind back, but how do we do it? Here are seven science-based strategies you can start using today. Number one, stop Rumination cycles. You know that feeling when you just keep thinking about the same thing over and over again? Maybe you're agonizing over something you said that landed wrong. Or you're stewing about something someone else did that got under your skin. You know that your thoughts aren't getting you anywhere, but you're just stuck in your head, unable to focus on anything else? That, my friend, is rumination and it's a monster that feeds itself. Stopping rumination requires actively shifting your mind. Easier said than done, though, am I right? Usually the most effective way to shift your mind is to focus on something else entirely. For example, you could pick an object in the room and start listing every tiny detail you see, what color, shape, size it is, What else do you see when you look at it a bit longer? By focusing your attention on something else, even for a short period, you short circuit those negative thoughts and emotional cycles. Number two, reframe and refocus. When our minds get hijacked, we're actually hyper-focused. We're just focused on the wrong things. Usually we get stuck thinking about the negative part of whatever the thing is. If we reframe the situation, this time paying attention to the good things, we can shift gears and begin to settle our frantic minds. One way to reframe a situation is to use cognitive reappraisal. Cognitive reappraisal is simply the act of shifting our thoughts to shift our emotions. We can do this in two ways. The first way is to think about how the situation could be worse. At least we're not starving and homeless, The second way is to think about what's actually good about our situation. Hey, maybe this is an opportunity to learn and grow. By reframing the situation, we get to choose what we focus on and we start to get our minds back. Number three, use mindfulness. A buzzing mind is often one that focuses on either the past or the future. We may be upset about something from our past, or we may worry about what will happen in the future. Either way, we're not here in the present moment. By using mindfulness, we can bring ourselves back into our bodies and finally get out of our heads. So how do we do this? To use mindfulness, we need to practice both awareness and acceptance. To be more aware, we need to start training our attention to notice the little stuff. How does it feel to breathe in and out? What sensations do we feel in our body? What are we thinking about and why? But awareness is not enough to calm our minds. In fact, hyper-awareness can lead us to even busier minds. We also need to cultivate acceptance by mentally letting go of our thoughts when they arise. For example, you can imagine them floating away like leaves in a river or clouds in the sky. By training our minds to notice thoughts and then letting them go, we free our minds from the constant clutter. 4. Reboot your mind. The thing about the brain is that it likes to just keep doing the things it's always done. That means shifting your thoughts can be tough, especially for those of us who are overthinkers. Our brains have gotten so good at overthinking that they just don't know how to operate any other way. That's why getting our minds back can sometimes require shutting down and rebooting. You can do a quick mental reboot by just changing the scenery, go for a walk, go to a different room, or face a different direction. These subtle changes can interrupt the process in your brain just enough to shift gears. For a bigger mental reboot, take a mini vacation to a new location. This time, make sure your mind gets to think about something else. For example, maybe instead of obsessing about the work project, you do an activity that forces you to think about something else. Something like climbing a mountain, cooking a new meal, or painting a picture. By doing different types of activities, you can reboot your mind and start fresh. Number five, show your mind who's boss. We often feel at the mercy of our mind. It always seems to go running off wherever it wants, but at the core, our brain is just another body part, and ultimately we have control over our body parts. So how might we stop our brains running off just like we might stop our body running off? We just need to use a parasympathetic nervous system to remind our brain who's boss. When we get caught up in a stress cycle, the parasympathetic nervous system works like the brakes. When we activate this system, it stops the fight or flight bodily response that goes along with a stressed mind. We could take a cold shower, gargle, or take a few long deep breaths. These things activate the parasympathetic nervous system and help you short circuit anxieties that run through the mind. Number six, shift your mental gears. If we've lost our mind, we're often frustrated too. We just want peace of mind so we can simply get stuff done. This mental distress can be exhausting. But let's pause to reframe. The truth is that the things from the past that we obsess over may not have even happened the way we think they did. And the future things we worry about may not ever happen. So the silver lining is... We really do have a fantastic imagination, and we can use our imagination to get our minds back. The truth is that the thoughts we have are bothersome because they're negative. Rarely are we annoyed by positive thoughts. So why don't we use our imagination to generate positive thoughts instead of negative thoughts? To use this strategy first, make sure you're seated comfortably and close your eyes. Are you there? Okay, start to imagine you're in a beautiful, calming place. Then imagine you're with people you love and doing things you love to do. Keep thinking these positive thoughts until your negative thoughts fall into the background. Finally, take a few deep breaths and sit with these thoughts for a moment. You've just used your imagination to get your mind back. Number seven, get a little help to calm your mind and reset. You've just learned a bunch of ways to get your mind back, but sometimes your mind is so full that you need a little more help. You want something that you don't have to think too much about or to work too hard at. Maybe you need a quick reset after the intense working session between Zoom meetings or before you go to bed, But you've only got two minutes, and about two brain cells left, to get your mind back. That's when you need to reset your mind. Neuroscientists have found that when you activate your brain in just the right ways, you can hard stop those distracting thought cycles. Your mind is clear and able to focus. And those lingering anxieties that hide somewhere deep inside the brain get released. All that's left is calm. This must be what it feels like to have peace of mind. I love this idea about rebooting your mind. You know when your computer or phone starts acting crazy, getting frozen, running slow, or just doing things unexpectedly, the first thing you try is shutting it down and rebooting. Setting things back to right. Rebooting unloads all device drivers, closes all programs, and restarts the operating system. Hmm... What if we adopted that same idea? What are some of the ways you could perform a reboot of your own? Take a nap. Get a bite to eat. Hydrate. Read. Study. Talk to someone. Start over. Let go. Modify your approach. Autopilot might seem like it's helping you through your day, But maybe it's carrying you through rough patch after rough patch. Over at becomingunbusy.com, I found how to start over, five steps to reboot your life. Have you had a clarifying moment when you realize that the life you're living is no longer the life you want for yourself or your family? Maybe you're making sacrifices for a career that no longer seems worth it, Or you're in a relationship that no longer makes sense. Or maybe you can't pinpoint exactly what it is. You just know deep in your heart that you need to change. You need to figure out how to rebuild your life so that it reflects who you are now. You're shifting. You've started to realize that you're not the same person you used to be. The things you used to tolerate have become intolerable. When you once remained quiet, you're now speaking your truth. You're beginning to value your voice and that there are some situations that no longer deserve your time, energy, and focus. Is it too late to rebuild your life? Absolutely not. If you're ready to start living a more intentional life that you want to be present for, then this is for you. Let's talk about how to start fresh when you realize you're ready to change. Here are five tips on how to start over in your life that will help you become the best version of yourself. The first step to rebuilding your life is to know what you actually want. Feeling unsettled or unhappy may have been a reason you wanted to rebuild your life in the first place, but you need to give yourself time to think and reflect on what you want your new life to look like. Start journaling your thoughts and ask yourself what you actually want to accomplish in your lifetime. Practice mindfulness, notice what thoughts bring you peace or excitement. Get to know who you are now and get excited about who you're becoming. George Eliot said, it's never too late to be what you might have been. Number two, Set your core values. Your personal core values are what will guide you through every decision you make and help you feel confident in your choices. If you aren't clear on what your core values are, now is the time to make that discovery. Figure out your top four to five core values that are the most important to you. Examples might be balance, compassion, fairness, security, or success among hundreds of options. Your values are as unique as you are. As you think about how to restart your life, let these values guide you. When you know what you value, you can live in accordance with those values. Joshua Becker said, Ask yourself what is really important and then have the courage to build your home and life around that answer. Number three. Organize your life. Whether physical or mental, decluttering is a vital part of starting over. Get rid of everything you don't want to take with you to your new life. Negative mindset, toxic relationships, clothes that don't fit, stained Tupperware, gone, out, goodbye. After all, can we start over when we haven't let go of our past? Also, by organizing your space and getting rid of excess, you're making physical space and mental space for a new life. You can't really have a new start when you're literally tripping over your old life, right? It also just feels good to live in an uncluttered life. Sometimes you don't feel the weight of something you've been carrying until you feel the weight of its release. 4. Let go of old beliefs. Now that you're done with decluttering, it's time to practice letting go. Let go of all the negative and limiting beliefs that you tell yourself or believe when others tell them to you. When a negative thought or belief about yourself pops into your mind, talk back. Replace the negative thought with a new one. For example, if you hear, "No one could love me if they really knew me," try My past has made me stronger and kinder and more compassionate. I'm worth getting to know and worthy of love. Do you know what people who have successfully figured out how to start over and live happily know? They know that you need to instruct your brain to work for you. Letting negative self-talk into your mind doesn't serve you and it has no place in your new life reboot. With every act of self-care, Your authentic self gets stronger, and the critical, fearful mind gets weaker. Every act of self-care is a powerful declaration. I am on my side. Each day, I am more and more on my side. Number 5. Practice forgiveness and gratitude. When starting over in life, you will likely find that guilt may try to follow you into your new life. We can rarely close a chapter in our lives without wondering if we could have done something different or without having to face realities that people were unavoidably hurt by the change. Fresh starts aren't always easy, but try not to carry the negativity with you into your new life. It's an excellent time to forgive yourself for your mistakes and to forgive others for theirs when you're starting over. Also, be thankful for all the life lessons and future insights. Forgiveness and gratitude are the two most powerful weapons that will help you reboot your life. An amazing thing happens when you get honest with yourself and start doing what you love and what makes you happy. In the end, awareness is the key to change. Be proud of yourself for knowing that your life needs the shift and recognizing that you're ready for it. Starting over can feel intimidating, but the right mindset and a good plan for how to restart your life, you're on the way to building a life that serves you well. You've got this. Six months from now, you can be in an entirely different space. Keep working and believing in yourself. Some say joy is within us, and it's just a matter of setting it free. Could chaos, clutter, and negative thoughts be preventing our joy from surfacing? If you start every day on a mission to release your joy, what will you remove, release, or reject in order to keep that path clear? Remove the obstacles in front of you, unnecessary to-dos, Perceived responsibilities and naysayers. Release the thoughts that keep you stuck. Self-doubt, shame, and guilt. Reject negative ideas and opinions. Re-engineer the conversation. Turn off the tube. Take a break from headlines. Think about the start of your day today. Were you focused on releasing your joy? Melissa Goldberg tells us exactly how to find joy today and every day, and this is found over at OprahDaily.com. Spoiler alert, this past year has been challenging for nearly everyone to say the least. So if you're having more difficulty finding positivity and joy, guess what? You're not alone. In fact, a recent survey from the University of Chicago found that happiness among Americans has fallen to a five-decade low. The good news. While, yes, a good chunk of happiness is influenced by genetics and whether or not your basic needs are met, like safety, shelter, and food, there's also a lot you can do yourself to get your joy back, even during hard, difficult times. This comes from Sonia Lomburski. She's a doctor and professor of psychology at the University of California, Riverside you can absolutely improve your happiness level as long as you're willing to put the effort into it. If you constantly remind yourself to do little things, like look at the bright side, eventually those habits will become ingrained. Even better, by adding more joy to your daily routine, you may also enhance your overall well-being. Happiness has two components, she says. The first is life satisfaction which is that sense that your life is going well. The second is the experience of frequent positive emotions, which include pride, curiosity, enthusiasm, tranquility, and you're right, joy. Here are the best expert-approved strategies to find more joy in your work, in your home, and in your ordinary life. Strike up a conversation with friends, family members, and even strangers. Just in case you needed another excuse to invite your girlfriends over for wine and cheese, experts agree that we tend to be happier when we connect with other people. Social interaction is the thing that most reliably increases people's positive emotions, whether you're introverted or extroverted. This comes from Dr. Elizabeth Dunn, professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia. In fact, one Harvard study, which followed the same group of men for more than 80 years, found that having strong personal connections with other people was most directly correlated to overall happiness, better health, and more contentment. That's especially true if you surround yourself with happy people. Researchers behind a longitudinal analysis published in the BMJ found that a person is 15% more likely to be happy if a friend is happy, and that a person's happiness can also influence and be influenced by their friends, friends, and even friends of those friends. Make a joy list. What brings you joy? The question seems simple enough, but when was the last time you really considered it? Thinking about what makes you happy. Spending time with friends, aspects of your work, or perhaps something else entirely. This can help you make time for what truly matters. It's often easiest to think about what might bring us joy when we remember times we've been joyful. This comes from Laura Santos, doctor and professor of psychology at Yale University. Who were we with? What were we doing? How can we recreate those moments to experience joy again? Give a little bit. There's a reason why the old adage, it's better to give than to receive, has stood the test of time. It's actually true, especially in regards to cultivating joy. When Dunn and her colleagues analyzed surveys from 200,000 adults globally, they found that in every major region of the world, people who gave money to charity were happier than those who did not, even after taking their own financial situations into account. That may be in part because giving to charity activates regions in the brain associated with pleasure, social connection, and trust, according to a 2006 study by the National Institutes of Health. If you're on a tight budget, giving away just a little bit of money has the same effect on happiness as giving away a lot. In one study, Dunn and her colleagues handed envelopes of money to students at the University of British Columbia. The recipients were told that they should spend the money, either $5 or $20, by the end of the day, either on themselves or on others. We found that people who spent the money on themselves that day weren't happier that evening. But people who spent it on others were. The amount of money, $5 or $20, didn't matter at all. Be even kinder. Donating to meaningful organizations and causes isn't the only do-good gesture that can increase your levels of joy. In a study published in the Review of General Psychology, Lomberski and her colleagues asked college students to perform five acts of kindness per week over the course of six weeks. Some students were assigned to complete all five acts in one day, while others were asked to do all five acts spread across a week. We found that when people carried out three to five acts of kindness a day, they experienced significant increases in happiness. And it didn't have to be a big gesture. It could be almost anything from giving a friend a ride to letting someone at the grocery store line get in front of you. In addition to the frequency with which you do kind acts, research has also indicated that varying the acts itself is important. A 2005 study found that people who completed a variety of acts of kindness showed greater increases in happiness than those who performed the same activity over and over again. To help get you started, here are a few suggestions. Surprise a neighbor with a freshly baked treat. Compliment the first person you speak to each day. Leave a thank you note for your mail carrier. Run an errand for an extremely busy friend or family member. Hold the elevator door when you see someone running towards it. Pass along a great book you've just finished reading and leave a generous tip for a pleasant waiter. Add some color to your home and your world. Can the colors, furnishings, and decorations in our home make us feel quantifiably happier? According to Ingrid Lee, a designer and author of Joyful, the answer is a resounding yes. More than a decade ago, Fetal Lee started asking complete strangers about the tangible things that brought them joy. To her surprise, some answers came up over and over again, including confetti, rainbows, tree houses, hot air balloons, googly eyes, kites, and clouds. It was immediately clear that there was something about bright colors. It seemed like they translated to Joy. Scientific research agrees. A study of nearly 1,000 people across four countries found that those working in vibrant, colorful offices were not only more alert than those working in duller spaces, but were also more joyful and friendly. Another study found that bright colors, like pink and blue, are associated with positive emotions, while dark colors, like brown or black, are associated with negative emotions. That's why Fetal Lee believes adding pops of color in one or more effective areas will spark joy in the home. Not ready for a royal blue bedroom or a yellow kitchen? (laughs) Fetal Lee has three bright ideas. Paint your front door with an eye-catching color, like coral, which is what Fetal Lee chose on her house. It's the last thing you see when you leave, it's the first thing you see when you get home, and it brings joy to the rest of the neighborhood. If you're looking for even more foolproof way to play with color, try replacing any white candles in your home with ones that come with happy hues like yellow or turquoise. You can also paint the back of your closets or cabinets with bright colors or fun patterns. It's an easy way to add little elements of surprise to your home. I can't tell you how many times I've been surprised by those stripes, even though I'm the only one that sees them. Make time for exercise, even if it's just 10 minutes. Research shows that being at the top of your game physically can also lead to being at the top of your game mentally. In 2018, a study published in the Journal of Happiness Studies found that people who worked out for at least 10 minutes per week tend to be more cheerful than those who don't. Savor joyful moments, both big and small. We often let ordinary joyful moments like drinking your morning cup of coffee, inhaling the rich scent of a fresh candle, listening to birds singing outside your window, pass without acknowledging how pleasurable they actually are. But savoring, which is the attempt to fully feel and enjoy our positive experience, is proven to increase happiness. It takes real practice to savor those moments, to not be distracted, but be mindfully present for them, especially noticing how it feels in your body. This comes from James Barrett's, a founding teacher of Spirit Rock Meditation Center and co-author of Awakening Joy, 10 Steps to Happiness. It's one thing to know I'm feeling good right now, but it's a whole other experience to know this is what it feels like to feel good. Be grateful. Gratitude isn't just a concept we should visit over turkey stuffing and pumpkin pie. It's a practice that's been scientifically shown to increase your happiness. Before bed, spend five to 10 minutes writing down five things for which you're grateful. From having a job that constantly challenges you to coming home to a freshly made bed. Share gratitude with others. Getting to know others by the small, meaningful, wonderful parts of their lives deepens relationships and sparks daily joy. to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, before you drop it all, consider prioritizing with a softer or a harder throw as you dive into what to remove, release, and reject. Finding balance and joy doesn't mean becoming an expert at juggling it all. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. I stumbled through until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How I want up here.